Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Today we're beginning a new series. Uh, we're going to go uh, over the next seven weeks, unless we get interrupted somehow schedule-wise, uh, through the uh, Old Testament uh, minor prophet of Haggai. Uh, there's only two chapters uh, to it, but uh, there's a really specific uh, purpose that God had in, in calling Haggai. If some of you are, are familiar with the book, maybe uh, you realize that uh, uh, Haggai was sent to encourage or exhort God's people to build the temple. And uh, that's not the reason for the series. We're not getting ready to launch into a building program today or anything uh, like that. Uh, But we do need to be encouraged uh, in this day and time or exhorted in in this day and time. Uh, To give you some background, that's one reason I'm I'm up here today instead of uh, with my table. It gets a lot of specific dates and things like that to kind of give you some background to understand the, the reason Haggai was called to this ministry and, and where we're going uh, over the next few weeks. Uh, but what had happened is that the uh, children of Israel had been carried away to bondage in Babylon. And uh, they were there for uh, years. Uh, and then uh, God uh, moved upon uh, the heart of a, a king, Sirius, who was the king there, uh, to let 50,000 people uh, of the Jews return from the captivity and go back to Jerusalem. Uh, he had raised uh, Nehemiah up uh, in that work also. And of course, Nehemiah is about rebuilding the wall, and uh, Haggai is about the focus of needing to rebuild uh, the temple. Uh, they went back, and kind of like maybe happens with us, when you're getting ready to do something new uh, and fresh, you might have a lot of energy in doing it and, and be kind of pumped up about it. But then if we're not careful over a period of time, our enthusiasm wanes. Uh, a good bit. And that's what happened with uh, the people in, uh, in Haggai's day. Uh, they set out to rebuild the temple, but they have harassment uh, take place from the Samaritans that were in the area. Uh, eventually, the, the Persian Empire itself uh, you know, gets really resistant to them building the temple. So they kindly uh, folded in and, and quit building the temple. They laid the foundations of the temple. They had offerings uh, that they made, and the people rejoiced after they laid the foundation. But then what happened was this. Spiritual apathy set in among God's people and among the remnant that had gone back, and other things became more important to them than building the temple. And we'll see uh, that in in a moment, what kind of things. Um, This isn't a history lesson because people still have the same nature. And the things still happen in our churches today and in our individual lives to where it doesn't take long maybe for the zeal that we might have for God's work sometimes to cool off. And if we're not careful, we'll, uh, we'll get sidetracked by things. Uh, what it, they had experienced was this opposition started murmuring, and then it became like this ominous growl, and it became a roar. And really what had happened, I think, was this, the rejoicing of God's people coming back to Jerusalem laying the foundation of the temple, rebuilding the walls, and then rejoicing about it, stirred up the enemy. I would submit to you the same thing is true in the day in which we live. Because if we really get excited for Jesus, and if we really get excited about the things of God, and we start to get very loud about it and rejoice about it and everything like that, it awakens the enemy 
Because the enemy doesn't want us to have that type of joy. The enemy doesn't want us to be rejoicing in, in the things of God. The temple lay unfinished from 536 to 520 B.C. So get in your mind, B.C. means we are counting down instead of counting up on, on the calendar uh, like we do today. So that's how long uh, it lay unfinished. For about 16 years, there's just a foundation there. Uh, uh, to get in your mind maybe what that would be like, if you set out to build your home and you laid the foundation to your home and then you didn't do anything for 16 years after laying the foundation for your own home, uh, that would get in a pretty bad situation, wouldn't it, over 16 years? So they, they got busy with other things, their focus was on other things, and, and they allowed it to lay there for that, for that long. Haggai and Zechariah brought God's message to Zerubbabel, who was a government leader, and Joshua, who was a religious leader, and I'll talk more about them in a moment also. Uh, and, and they came in with other contemporaries, and they proclaimed the message that it was time to rebuild the temple. He was sent there to encourage them to rebuild the temple. Eventually, the temple was finished in 515 B.C., so the rebuilding of the temple took about 21 years. And I told you a minute ago, one thing that I'm not preaching this for is this. I'm not preaching through this series. God's not led me to Haggai in order for us to launch into a building program. Now, having said that, I do believe this. Our church needs always to be ready to step forward in any opportunities God might present us. And you never know when that might happen. A couple of years ago, we had someone approach us about buying the property. We wondered if they were serious and we wound up having a sale. We might have to buy property and, and build and things like that. Uh, you have to be prepared to do things like that. So while that's not what this series is about, it is true we always need to be prepared to step into God's opportunities that he may put before us. So it could be a call for preparation. I'm not exactly preaching this series to prompt more giving because in order for them to build the temple, guess what? They had to give in order for them to build the temple. But that's not necessarily the purpose of this series. Although in practical ways you understand it takes giving to carry on ministries of a church and be prepared for what God wants us to do as a church. Number three, I'm not preaching through Haggai to gain necessary upgrades that we've talked about. Uh, we had a, a Christmas offering where we told you we're going to take part of that Christmas offering and use it for upgrades. Uh, before long, you'll see panic doors uh, installed, bars ins installed on our doors to make a more secure situation uh, for our environment here, especially for our, for our children. Uh, and I thank you for helping support that and give the money. And uh, we'll celebrate that some once we see those bars put in place. We have other upgrades that we're wanting to do, but I'm not preaching this, just trying to get you to give for those upgrades. I'm preaching for this reason, for the very title of the message, exhorting God's people. We, we need to be exhorted in this day and time. We need to be encouraged in this day and time. We, we just finished a series. You might consider this series we're doing in Haggai an extension of the one we just finished. Because we just spent three weeks talking about vision and mission and how those two things mesh together. One of the primary things we identified in that series is that we're to build believers and we're to connect with others in order to build believers. So in this day and time, when we talk about the temple of God, we're not talking about a building like Haggai was talking about. When we talk about building the temple of God, guess who the temple of God is? If you know Christ is your Savior, you're the temple of God because the moment you trusted Jesus as your Savior, God by His Spirit came to indwell you and live inside of you. So individually, we are the temple of God, and corporately, believers together, we make up the temple of God. Day three church is made up of believers, not bricks and stone and a roof. 
So consider this a call not to build a building, but a call for us to build each other still. The things that we have been talking about uh, recently as we talked about vision and, and mission. Because you see, in, in our day, as it was in Haggai, it's still a serious problem when God's people become apathetic. And in our day, our churches, and even in our churches, it's easy for God's people to lose focus and become kind of sidetracked. And it's still regrettably easy for initial zeal and energy found in ministry, in ministry successes to become cold and, and forgotten. See, we live in a time in our culture today that the enemy wants us to be quiet. The enemy doesn't want us to be loud. The enemy doesn't want us to rejoice. The enemy doesn't want us to talk about any successes. The enemy wants us to be quiet, wants to silence our rejoicing. We live in a time when the enemy wants us to be quiet about Jesus and his gospel. We live in a time definitely the body of Christ needs to be strengthened, encouraged, and exhorted. And that's the reason for this series. To let you know where we're going uh, over the next seven weeks, here's what we will uh, address. Today we're going to talk about uh, how we need to put God first. Uh, next week will be consider your ways. Uh, then we'll talk about believing God's promises, obeying God's command. We're going to talk about look up because God is with us. That was something the people needed to know in that day and time as they took on the task of building the temple. They could do it because why? God was with them. We're going to talk about look within because sin contaminates us. And if we have a mission and things that God has called us to, and we do, the Bible is full of it. The New Testament is full of our uh, mission that we have as a church. We can let sin contaminate us to where we can't be as effective as we ought to be. And then we're also going to look ahead because Haggai actually told them God seals us. And while he was talking about it in a different time, it was a foreshadow of this. You and I have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. And that's the things we're going to be talking about. Hopefully there'll be things to, to encourage us. But today, let's talk about putting God first. Haggai chapter 1, in verse 1 through 4, it said, In the second year of Darius the king in the sixth month. Now, we, we get a specific date here, and uh, I'll talk about that if I don't forget to later on. Uh, on. On the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shetil, governor of Judah. And Joshua, the son of uh, Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time, and this is what he's telling the people, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses or your sealed houses, some translations say, while this house lies in ruin? I want you to notice three things about putting God first in, uh, in these verses this morning. Number one is simply this. Putting God first is God's message. It's not something that Haggai made up. It was a message from God. We're told clearly through the Bible. I mean, go to the Ten Commandments and we're told where to worship who? The Lord God only. We're told that God is a jealous God as we look in the scriptures. So we ought to have the mindset uh, as believers, even in this day and time, that we need to put God first. And what he says there in verse 1 is this. In the second year of Darius the king, the sixth month on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. 
To Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the, the high priest. Darius, uh, there's probably, it's, it's a title, it's not really a name uh, of the ruler, it was Darius the first. And uh, what we're told here is this, the word of God, uh, a cause. You can even say not just a matter spoken about or words, but a cause. So what uh, Haggai is talking about is God's cause. It was a cause of the self-existent, eternal God. And he's challenging or he's exhorting God's people there to put God first because it was God's message. Man, if you took time and read through the two chapters, and it wouldn't take you very long, of Haggai, and if, maybe if you don't mind highlighting your Bible or something uh, like that, uh, if you will, as you, as you go through there, read, just take notice of it. Depending on your translation, you're going to find between 25 and 29 times in two chapters that Haggai more or less says something like this. Thus, this is the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord. Uh, this is what God is declaring. But sprinkle all through those two chapters, 29 times he's emphasizing that it's God's message. Now, to me, that's significant. If you've got two short chapters and 29 times, the emphasis is this, this is the word of God. That's something to set up and take notice about. You know, he, he's, he's clearly letting the people know that God has said this. He was fully aware, Haggai was fully aware that he was God's messenger. You, you can jump down to verse 13 of chapter 1 and find this. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, so he's identifying himself as a messenger of the Lord, spoke to people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. Three times in that one verse, he is emphasizing the fact that he is God's messenger, so he's proclaiming God's truth. The Bible says that message came by the hand of Haggai. God was using Haggai as his instrument. He, he was using him as, as, his, as his power. A uh, prophet, of course, is just someone that foretold God's word. But the name Haggai literally means this. It means festive or a festival or a feast day, which talks about a sacrifice. So you and I, if we're going to put God first, it may take a sacrifice on our behalf. Amen? We will have to allow God to use our time and our talents and our abilities and our finances, and we're going to put God first. Not just that, as I look at this name of Haggai, his name means to be festive. You and I ought to be festive about God's word. We, we ought to be festive about God's will. We ought to be festive about encouraging each other, exhorting e each other also, because the day in which we live, we ought to have that type of excitement. Look at the world we live in today. Look at our culture. Have you noticed what's taking place? Christ in the church and his message is being forced to sit on the back of the bus. Are you familiar with that terminology? You know, it's as though Christianity uh, now is, is looked at as a, as a minority. And, and, and people in the world that we live in want to make us be quiet and just go sit in the back of the bus. But we need to be festive because that's the culture that we live in. We shouldn't give up. We ought to be all the more festive and all the more doing what we can to encourage God's people to put God first. As he brings this message... I think it's significant to note that the first people he talked to, one was the governor and one was the priest, the high priest. So, so he brings God's message to the government leader and to the religious leader. Now, just to unpack a little bit about who they were before I kind of make an application uh, from that. Uh, Zerubbabel was the governor of Judah. His name means descendant of or from Babylon. So he was probably born in Babylon as they were there uh, in, in exile. Uh, the Bible refers to uh, uh, him as being the son uh, of Shatil. 
the word son of means to be a builder of the family name. Let me stop there just for a moment. So that fact that he was a son of his father meant he's supposed to be building the father's name. Apply that to us today. If we're the children of God, guess whose name we ought to be building? Not mine, not yours, not even the name of Day 3 Church. We ought to be about building the name of our Father. We ought to be about making Christ famous. That's who we ought to be, be, be building and, and, and setting forth, be a builder of the family name. His dad, Shatil, uh, his name meant, I have asked God. And then he also went to Joshua, like I said, he went to the governor of Judah, and he went to the high priest, and that was Joshua, not the Joshua that entered the promised land with the children of Israel to begin with. This, of course, is a different Joshua. He was a high priest, but his name means the same thing, Jehovah saved, or Jehovah is salvation. And he is the son of Jehozadak, so he's to be the son or the builder of a man whose name meant Jehovah righted. Let me stop there just for a moment. The only way you and I can be made right is by God. Jehovah is the only one that can right us. You can't make yourself right with God. You can't work your way into being right with God. The only thing that makes us right with God is his mercy and his grace when he makes us right. And that's literally what this man's name meant. The only way we can be made right. We live in a day and time, and this is why I'm talking about the government and the religious leaders. We live in a day and time when people want to erect an artificial wall between government and religion, between government and faith. That's not true in God's economy. If you look in the Bible time and time again, God addressed the political leaders. God addressed kings. He had messages for kings and governors and other religious leaders in that day and time. It wasn't something that was segmented out apart. Uh, God's word is for government leaders and for religious leaders alike. There's not to be some type of artificial wall. That, that's foreign to the scriptures. That's something our culture's brought about. But people want to take our Constitution and, and make it sound like the church is supposed to stay out of the government. That never was the purpose of the Constitution to begin with. The Constitution was to keep the government from instituting a government-ran church. That was what it was about. It wasn't to say, all right, you believers, you Christians, keep your mouth shut. Don't tell us anything about politics. Because we are supposed to be engaged, and, and the government is supposed to be engaged also in hearing God speak. In Haggai's day, here's the thing that happened, not just in his day, but many times in the Bible. The government leader and the religious leaders heard the word of God and they cooperated together to do what God has said. My goodness, how would that change our nation today if our government leaders would hear the word of God and all of our religious leaders would hear the word of God and we would join hands to do what God said instead of fighting against each other. Instead of having this artificial wall between government and between religion or between, uh, between God and his, and his followers. That's what will change our, our world. That's what will change our nation. If you want to see America be great again, it will happen when both government and religion hear God and do what God says. Now, before you pass the blame off to government or to the church, that begins with individuals. That means we have to put God first ourselves. We have to develop the mentality, the mindset that God ought to be first in our lives. 
It was on September. I told you I'd come back to that date in that was given at the, the first part of verse 1. It was on September 1st, 520 B.C. that Haggai delivered his message. Sixteen years had passed from the time they had laid the foundation until the time Haggai comes to bring his message. And Haggai doesn't waste any time. More or less what he does is this. He, he comes to the government leader and to the religious leader, and he says, these people are making excuses. These people are trying to say this is why God's house shouldn't be built at this time. But at the same time, they're building their own houses. And he's saying now is the time to finish building the temple. So since they made excuses, the second thing I want you to see today is this. Putting God first erases excuses. Putting God first erases excuses. And and I don't mean lip service. (laughs) It's real easy for us to say, oh, oh, yes, God is first in in my life, and and he's first in my marriage. You know, I let God uh, rule in my family and in in my job and everything about my life. It's real easy for us to give lip service to that. I'm not talking about that type of attitude. I'm talking about whereby our actions also, we are actually showing that we're putting God first in our lives. Because if we will do that, that will start to erase excuses. Look at verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The the phrase he uses for these people, uh, some commentators put it like this. It's interesting that God didn't say my people (laughs) here because they weren't acting much like his people. He referred to them as these people. But, but even the phrase, these people, I think has some significance because the, the, the phrase means a mass of persons, especially organized for war or a campaign, hardship or worship. In other words, these people that Haggai is preaching this message to, they were supposed to be organized to do something. They were supposed to be organized to carry out God's work. They were supposed to be functioning like an army, uh, like they were going to battle. They were supposed to be functioning like someone corporately worshiping God, but they weren't doing that. Instead, they they were making excuses. He, He said, these people say, and the word in the Hebrew there means to say with great latitude. Have you ever tried to convince yourself something's true and you knew in your heart it wasn't true? By making excuses? And and, and maybe you're you're trying to say it loud enough that someone else will believe it and that you'll believe it, the the excuses? That tends to be what I think the people in Haggai's day were doing. They they were saying with such latitude, with such enforcement, that it wasn't time to build God's house, even though they knew God said to build God's house, they were trying to convince themselves and other people, oh, it's not really time to start. And it was time to start. They they were just trying to make excuses and ignore the the issue. The, The word for time means now. And they said it's not yet come, it's not yet arrived to rebuild the house of the Lord. And that can talk about a house like a physical structure, but it's also interesting to me that the phrase, even there in the Hebrew in the Old Testament, can refer to a family of the self-existent eternal God. Now, now my question to them would be this. It's been 16 years since you built a foundation. If not now, When? I mean, honestly, if they understood that God has sent them to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall and to rebuild the temple, and they built the foundation, and they celebrated, and they rejoiced that the foundation had been laid, and it sat there for 16 years, if it wasn't time to build it 
then when would be the right time for it to be built? See, they had all the evidence in the world that it was God's timing that God had sent them. Think about this. God moved upon the heart of King Cyrus, a heathen king, to do this. To let 50,000 people go. (laughs) To give them the supplies they needed to rebuild the wall and the gates and the temple. He provided for them what they needed to keep them safe on the journey to where they would wind up back in Jerusalem with all the supplies and the financing that he'd given them to rebuild. Now, guys, I I don't know about y'all, but to me, if a heathen king all of a sudden finances God's work, it looked like to me it's time to do God's work. Amen? It it should have been self-evident to them because of the circumstances that were happening that, that it was time to build. You can read the background of that. We don't have time today, but in 2 Chronicles 36 and Ezra 1, you can read more background to that. There was abundant evidence that it was time to build the temple. The Jews also had this. They had the prophecy of Isaiah. You see, Isaiah was before, long time before Haggai came on the scene. In, in, Isaiah, in Isaiah, under under divine inspiration, he writes something that Bible scholars say is about Sirius, the one that now has let them go back to build the city and to build the temple. He, talking about a heathen king, he is my shepherd. And he shall perform all my pleasure. This is also a, you know, a foreshadowing of Christ. But he's my shepherd. He shall perform all my pleasure. Even saying to Jerusalem, you shall be rebuilt in the temple. Your foundation shall be laid. They, they knew that. They would have known their own prophets. They would have known that Isaiah had said that. And yet the excuse of the people was this. The excuse of the people was not yet, not now. The, the underlying excuse I'll talk more about in, in just a moment. But the fact of the matter is, whether we like to admit it or not, we have problems with excuses in our day, don't we? And instead of us responding to what we know God's will is and carrying out God's purpose, a lot of times we have similar excuses. Uh, and, and we'll say, we, I, I don't have time, not yet, not, not now. I, I don't have time to do that at church. I'm too busy to do that for Jesus. We can come up with many excuses. Billy Sunday, how many of you heard of Billy Sunday before? You know, you're dating yourself like I am by raising my hand. But uh, Billy Sunday was a famous evangelist of years ago. Uh, he was a pretty flamboyant individual. He used to be a professional baseball player before God called him to preach. He would come running sometimes uh, down the aisle of the church and slide into the altar <laughs> to get everybody's attention. You've heard me quote him in this statement before. He, someone accused him one time of rubbing the fur the wrong way, and Billy Sunday said, I'm not rubbing the fur the wrong way. You need to turn the cat around and get the cat going in the right direction. See, God's word's always true. If we don't like the way it's rubbing us, we need to turn around and go the opposite way. Well, here's what Billy Sunday said about an excuse. He called an excuse the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. And I think that's probably a good definition of an excuse because we want to dress it up as though there's good, solid, sound reason for us not to do what God is telling us to do when in essence what we've done is dress up a lie and stuffed it inside that excuse. Benjamin Franklin said this. He said, I never knew a man who was good at making excuses, who was good at anything else. 
In other words, if we're not careful, all we'll become is someone that makes excuses instead of ever carrying on anything else. See, Jesus said this. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus himself is saying we need to be about God's work when we can be about God's work. Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 18. He, he said, look carefully then at how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Why did he say understand what the will of the Lord is? Here's why. We need to understand God's will. Instead of making excuses, we need to do what God tells us to do. You see, I, I think our excuses would be at the very least minimized if we would start to put God first. If we would give God the priority that he should have, it would minimize the excuses that we have in our life. At very least, it would would help make those excuses smaller. It would help us to carry on God's work. The problem is we have this bad world called, uh, this bad word called procrastination. And that's what Jesus was talking about and what, and what Paul was talking about just a moment ago. I know the people of Haggai's day didn't have that verse of Scripture. Jesus saying you need to do the work while you can because there's coming a time when it's dark. And they didn't have that verse of Scripture of, uh, of Paul saying that you need to do the, the work while you can. You see, I'm not preaching to people in Haggai's day. I'm preaching to us. And we do have those scriptures. And we do understand that God calls us to put him first. And we need to quit making excuses and procrastinate when it comes to God's work. We need to put God first. And doing that will help erase the excuses that we have. Third thing I want you to see out of this passage of scripture, out of these four verses this morning, is, is this. Putting God first establishes priorities. Putting God first establishes priorities. Haggai's divine message, it was one given him by God, went right straight to the heart of the problem, and he exposed the hypocrisy and the unbelief of God's people. He accused them of putting off their duty by this plea, by this excuse that they had. They were saying, the time has not come, the time for the Lord's house to be built. And Haggai points to that, I think, even with sarcasm, as he reminds them of their sealed or their panel houses that they've been building for themselves. Verse 3 and 4, Haggai says, Then the word of the Lord, I think we've heard that several times today, came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses while this house lies in ruin? Some of the phrases and the the meanings there of the Hebrew then came, in other words, it, it, it came to pass, the word of God like a beacon. The word can even be translated beacon. God's word came like a beacon. The, the word of the self-existent, eternal, almighty God through Haggai, once again being the, the hand or the power that God is using, his instrument. And he says this, is, is it a time? Is it now? Uh, it, it says, is this when, the duration of the, the, the phrase he uses gives a sense of perpetuity or permanence or eternity. Uh, 
The, the phrase there gives an idea of, of everlasting or world without end. It can even be translated. So he says, is it a time for you yourselves? And that phrase literally means toward you, in order for you, the purpose of you instead of God's purpose. With respect to you, regarding you, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses? That phrase, to dwell in your panel house, is literally meant to sit down as a judge. He, he was challenging the people, and, and, and he was saying, do you think it's, it's okay for you to sit down as a judge upon what God has already told you to do? You see, sometimes we're guilty of that. If, if you know God has clearly told you to do something and you sit down to reason in your own mind and to judge whether you're going to do it or not, you just made yourself a judge over what God has said. Instead of carrying out what God's will is. And that's what he is is challenging them with. He he said, are are you going to sit down like a judge? Are you going to sit down and quiet? Are you going to dwell? Are you going to remain? Are you going to settle? Are you going to marry like you're married to your house? Are you going to continue? Are you going to set yourself at ease? Are you just going to keep house? Are you going to tear your hide by being inside this panel ceiling roof? The, the word means covered or roofed or panel, but either case, whichever way you look at it, what refers to is finishing touches. Hank, I was looking to the people and he said, your house isn't in process. You're not in the middle of building it. You've already put on the finishing touches on your home, and yet God's house over here is still lying in ruins. What, what excuse do you have is what he's telling them for not doing the work that God has told you to do. See, God's not calling us to build a physical temple like in that day and time, but God does call us to do the things I mentioned earlier because we're the temple of God and we're to be building each other up. And God has many, many other things that he wants us to be about, that he wants us to do. And we need to ask ourselves, are we going to do it or are we going to be married to our homes? Oh, are we going to do it or are we going to make our lives about ourselves? That's a challenge more or less that he was given to the people. To, to let me paraphrase a little bit what Haggai uh, said to them, he more or less said this. Are you going to sit in your homes forever, world without end? Are you going to perpetually sit in your homes, in your enclosed houses, and judge about doing God's work? Are you going to be married to your comfort in your homes? Are you going to settle for something less than God's best and God's will? How long are you going to hide out in your homes while this house, talking about God's house, lies in waste? Like I said, we've got a temple to build too. A temple to build in our own individual lives. A temple to build as the, the church corporately together as we, as we build each other up because we're the, the dwelling place of God in this day and time. And he calls us clearly to build each other up. We just spent three weeks talking about that. That we're supposed to be building each other up. The problem is this. The problem is our application. Our problem in application is a priority issue. We need to put God first, and putting God first will establish our priorities. Once again, like I said a moment ago about our excuses, I'm not talking about us having the attitude in our mind, I'm supposed to put God first. I'm not talking about us giving lip service to where we say, oh, yes, of course, we're supposed to put God first. What I am saying in our actions, 
Not just our attitudes and our actions and the way we live our lives and what we do. We need to be putting God first. Jesus said something that I think would have addressed their attitude in that day and time. Of course, they didn't hear it, but we can. Jesus said this, Therefore, I I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or, or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. It is not the life more than food and the body more than clothing. See, that could have been applied to the people in Haggai's day. Don't just worry about your own stuff. Don't just worry about your own life. Don't just worry about building your own house. He goes on and he says this, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then Jesus said, are you not much more value than them? In just a minute, he's going to say something about the grass of the field and the flowers uh, that are out there. He talks about the birds. Do you understand those things are cared for by the Father? I mean, just at the right time. Here's how much I think God is interested in life. I think God is the one that allows the worm to stick his head up out of the hole just in time for the bird to see it. He's the one that has taken care of the birds and the grass and the flowers. And here's the point Jesus is making. We're more important than birds. We're more important than flowers. We're more important than the grass of the field because Jesus died for us. He didn't come to die for the birds or the grass or the flowers or the environment. Jesus came to die for sinners. He came to die for us. And that communicates to us how much the Father cares for us. And we need to recognize that and live our lives under the awareness that he cares for us instead of us worrying so much about our own personal junk. He goes on, he says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, now the Gentiles is talking about people that didn't have a relationship with God. In other words, we don't need to, we don't need to act like unbelievers. We don't need to leave our, live our lives worried like that. And, and so inwardly focused, that's all we look at. It is care for our own homes and our own stuff and our own junk. Like they were in Haggai's day. But he said, he said, the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see the priority? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other stuff that you spend and waste all that time worrying about, he's going to take care of. Now, that's not a health and wealth message. That doesn't mean he's going to give you everything you want, but it means he's concerned about your life and he's going to care for you. That's the message that Jesus gave that they didn't have access to. I realize they didn't have a chance to see that great promise, but they did know this 
already. The Bible said, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. That's alluded to in Proverbs, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and in several places. Haggai is saying you've got the wrong focus. Haggai was telling God's people, you're, you're sidetracked. You started out okay. You're excited when you built and laid the foundation, but somewhere along the way, you've lost it. And you've lost your zeal and you've lost your, your, your energy. It was obvious that the nation had its priorities confused. But today, we as God's people are pretty similar to them and we've got our priorities messed up. Some evidence of that would be local churches can't expand or even meet their, judge, their budgets. For local ministries, nevertheless, world evangelism trying to send money to help support missionaries. There isn't enough money to do the things that God's calling the church to do because many church members don't believe, Matthew 6, 33, that we need to put him first, seek him first, and that includes even in our, in our giving. I know times have been tough over the last few years, but if you will take your lifestyle and if you'll compare it with third world countries, if you compare it with places like Guatemala where... UTH Ministries has been going for several years on a mission trip that I'm hopefully going to be privileged to go, to go with them this time. You compare your lifestyle, my lifestyle, with places like that, you know what you'll discover? You're rich. You have more beyond your wildest dreams if you compare yourself to, to those third world countries. We worry about things that don't really matter. We're focused about things that will not matter one bit in eternity. That's the call that Haggai gives to God's people in that day and time. And we need to hear the same call because if we'll hear the word of God and put God first, we can change things. If we will listen to God's word and if we will put him first, really put him first, not lip service, but really put him first, it can, can transform the ministry of this church. I want to show you a contrast between the attitude of David and the attitude of the people in Haggai's day. Haggai's day, their excuse was, not time. (laughs) Not time to build the temple yet. David, on the other hand, after he became king, and his house was built in Jerusalem, said this, see now I dwell in a house of cedar which would have been a fancy home in that day and time. But the ark of God dwells within curtains. Because that's how God designed it to start with. The tabernacle out in the wilderness, and that's where the ark of the covenant was. It represented the presence of God and God coming down into the most holy place. But David gets very guilty about it after he is there in Jerusalem living in his finished out house, his nice home. And he says this, he says, why should I have this and, and, and God be out there in a tent? And he didn't get to build the temple because he had bloody hands, God told him. But he started the process and his son Solomon is the one that that built the temple. I just wanted you to see the attitude difference. One group of people saying, oh no, 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 no. We don't have time, not time, it's not right. David is saying, man, it's not right for me to live in this nice house and everything and, and God be second fiddle is more or less what he's saying. And God 
not be a priority. The temple in that day and time was a literal building, and it was lying in waste because they had not finished it. Today, it's the church and the lives of individual believers who the temple of God that I've already mentioned in this message because we're indwelled by His Spirit. But just like the temple was laying waste in that day and time in Haggai's day, I think the lives of believers are neglected in this day and time. And we're not building each other up like we should as individuals. And as a result of that, the church of the living God, the church that Jesus bled and died for, the church is also in a neglected state. Haggai, after 16 years, said, how long are you going to wait? Our question might be for us today, how many years will it take for us to wake up and put God first? The temple in their culture was the, more or less the center of the whole city, the center of their culture. There, there's a time in America that it was like that for churches and communities. I mean, there was a time in America that schools wouldn't even dare think about having ball games on Wednesday night or a Sunday night or anything like that because of the focus of, of the importance of worshiping God and, and, and the church. That's how it was viewed. We live in a day that that's not true anymore. We, we live in a day that is very, very minimized, and that's why we need to be exhorted, we need to be encouraged today as believers that we would build each other up that we'll drop our excuses, that we'll establish God's priority in our lives by putting Him first. That's what this series is about. It's about exhorting or encouraging God's people. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I need encouragement. Do you need encouragement in the day that we live in? We need to be exhorted. I was going to say this later, but God brings it to mind now. I was going to say it at the prayer time before we receive the offering. It, it has been a blessing over the last few months to have Aaron's dad, Bob, attend our church. He planned to join him. He never got around to that just yet. <clears throat> He had pastored for years, had the chance to go to Russia one time uh, to, uh, I think it was over in Georgia in that section after the walls had come down and uh, with a team that did evangelistic work and many people saved over there. But then uh, he had had some bumps in the road. You know what? All of us have bumps in the road. None of us are perfect. Can you realize that? They about lost him a year ago because of health issues and even on a ventilator then, not knowing if he would get off of it, and yet God raised him back up. And then he started walking through the doors of the church. And I know part of it was because Bob was a pastor and he, and he understood some of it. But as, as I would preach, I could look out at Bob. And I could see an expression on his face that encouraged me as I preached. You could tell that it meant something, that he was soaking it in. <clears throat> the series that we did recently in Psalm 46. And he, he, he came up every 
Sunday of that series after it was over and tell me how much it encouraged him and blessed him. I was told between the services by someone that works in a supermarket that every time he would come to the supermarket and see them when he would check out, he would tell them how blessed he was by being here at day three. And as I was thinking about how to describe his face, I finally come up with a term when I was talking with Aaron, and I thought of uh, Nehemiah where it says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And that's what it was, the joy of the Lord in his face. And that's what I'm going to preach about at his funeral today, the joy of the Lord. The reason I'm pointing it out now is just this, we're talking about exhorting each other. I hate to lose that. Because <laughs> I can look out there and see his face. I guess the short of the message is some of you need to start looking like Bob looked as I preached. Because <laughs> I, I, I need exhortations sometimes. And, and you need it because of the world that because of the world that we're living in, we need to, to exhort each other. God's got a lot of things for us to do. Sometimes we can barely do it because we don't meet budgets sometimes. And this isn't a message on tithing. It's a message about putting God first. And you see, if we put God first, we don't have to worry about the tithing thing. Or, or other ministries, finding people to teach children or do other things in the church. If we'll just all say, I'm going to put God first. And mean it. That's the call that he was given to Haggai. Or the Haggai was given to the people. The culture we live in is increasingly more and more and more godless by their choices and their lifestyle. A lot of times we point at the world and we scream at the world because that's true. You know whose fault it is? Judgment must begin at the house of God. It's our fault because we've allowed our lives as Christians to be in a neglected state. We've left the foundations bare. It's the fault of the church because we've laid foundations and we've let the foundations lie. Instead of carrying through with everything that God wants us to do. So it may be our fault that we've left the foundations exposed in disrepair for years. You want to change our world for the better? You want to make America great? Not going to be based upon who you vote for. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to be political by bringing any of that up. I'm just telling you. Uh, to be honest with you, folks, the, the way the atmosphere has been in this election season with all the yawing back and forth about things that don't even matter, it ought to make us long all the more for King Jesus to sit on his throne. Because that's the only thing that will make our nation great again. And that's the only thing that will change our world. We've already talked about that, changing one life at a time. We need to drop the excuses. We need to hear God's word and drop the excuses. And we need to have our, our priorities established by putting God first. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we leave our lives in disrepair because we're your temple, those of us that know you as Savior. Father, forgive us corporately as a church when we lay the foundation and we've not finished everything that you call us to. I pray, Father, in this series that you'll encourage us and you'll exhort us. 
And you'll help us to hear your word. And you'll help us to understand that it is your word. We don't get to vote on it. We don't get to judge it. We don't get to make excuses. We need to clearly hear your word and respond to what your word is. We need to put you first and mean it in the way that we live. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this place that doesn't know Christ as Savior, that you speak to their heart right now. Help them to see that their, their lives are in disrepair and they can't fix it themselves. Help them to understand that you love them so much you sent your Son from heaven into this world to suffer on a cross, make the full payment for their sins, and that you stand with open arms inviting them to receive your forgiveness and become part of your family. That he took his life back up to show and prove that he did everything necessary and that through faith in him we can have everlasting life. But Father, anyone that doesn't know you this morning, I pray you draw them to yourself. And Father, for those of us that do know you, help us to honestly evaluate our lives during this time of invitation. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. As I was praying... I said, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, why not during this invitation admit that you're a sinner that can't save yourself, you can't fix yourself, and trust in Jesus and Him alone? If you're a Christian, if you already know Christ as your Savior, can I ask you during this invitation to please, please, please do this? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to help you evaluate your life right now? Allow the Holy Spirit to walk anywhere He wants to in your heart and in your mind and point out to you excuses that you're holding on to and point out to you hey you need to change some priorities in your life I want you to ask yourself during this invitation what or who's most important you see if you answer that with anything other than Jesus anything other than God then your priorities are messed up as a believer if you answer it in any other way during this invitation, honestly ask yourself how you use your resources, how you use your talents, how you use your time, how you use your money, and what appears to be most important as you evaluate those things. Dr. Mark Kortz, years ago, I had the opportunity, he was pastor at, at Calvary Baptist in Winston-Salem, a huge church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and they started a mentoring program for pastors of churches that were running 200 or less, and I, I really wasn't quite there really over that but this was even before we started day three and I, they allowed me to come to the mentor program and I, I remember a lot of things he would say uh, Mark's dead now he uh, had a heart condition passed away a few years ago but I can still remember Mark saying if you give me your checkbook and let me look through your checkbook I can tell you how right with God you are And he looked at us and he said, if you'll give me your church budget and let me look through your church budget, I can tell you how right with God you are. So I'm just asking that you evaluate those things and that you make a commitment to hear God, to drop excuses and to make your priorities right by putting Him first. Please stand, please come as God speaks to your heart. Come kneel, come pray, ask God to help you. With the excuses, with the priorities, if anyone needs to talk to me for any reason, I'll be here at the front.
Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.